Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcast. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Awesome, you guys. Thank you for coming. I think there was probably a, a, an error or a glitch because I feel like there's a recount that needed because I feel like I was the best dancer at VBS, Manny. Maybe we tied. I think I got the best pie in the face award, though. Oops. You guys, shout out to you guys because these kids raised like $500. We had a penny war competition, and whoever won, the boys or girls, either I got a pie in the face or Susie did, and I took it for the team, guys. Boom. The girls won. I know. I took it for the kids and our kids overseas. 500 bucks. That's awesome. That's really great. I'll take a pie in the face for 500 bucks for missions. I'll do it. Anyways, it is great to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are going through the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, make sure to grab it. We're going to be covering the New International Version and also the New Living Translation. But there is a lot of great stuff in this chapter. So today is a little bit more practical. We've been covering chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the last weeks, and um, those chapters, the first kind of book of, the first portion of Ephesians is really a lot more centered on doctrine and what God has done for us. Four, five, and six, you'll, you'll feel like they're a lot more practical and they're really helpful insights. So um, we are going to be cruising through this, but can we just go ahead and pray really quick? We just want to invite the Holy Spirit here. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts. There's so much great content in this, and I thank you that, God, you are our helper, that you equip us with grace to become more like you. So I pray for there to be a great encouragement spirit. I Thank you, and we just worship you for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for this great church and this great people. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me find this here. Okay, we are going to start off in verse 1, chapter 4. It says this. It says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. I think a lot of people question, what's my purpose in life? Do I matter? Like, would the world be better off if I had never been born? And this, this verse establishes that you have a call on your life. God has destined you. He has designed you. He's given you gifts and a purpose because you are important. And you do have a call on your life. Your life matters. I think a lot of times we... we are influenced by American culture, which means it's a little bit more about me, and we eternalize it a little bit more individualistic. I feel like Paul here, as we read, you'll get a sense of unity, and you'll get a sense of wholeness, that yes, it is, I am called by God, but I'm called to fit in this larger group of what God is doing. So I think you'll, you'll kind of get uh, an impression of that. But truly, we are a part of what God is doing. In Ephesians, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about in chapter 2, verses 20, that we are a building, a temple, and that Christ is the cornerstone. And so you look at what a cornerstone is, it was the most important rock or stone in the entire building. 
It had to be perfect because all the other rocks and all the other um, building constructions were built on the cornerstone. And that's what Christ is. We, we adjust to Christ, not Christ adjusting to our life. Does that make sense? So Christ is truly the cornerstone of our faith, of our church, and everything that his word is based upon. So he really is to set direction and the orientation of where we go. Verse 2 says this, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. This verse is a, this is a chunky one. So if you'll just let me to kind of poke you a little bit. Can I poke at you a little bit? Um, looking at this verse, I thought, you know what? There, I don't want to just gloss over this. Because the first part says to always be humble. Always be gentle. That is a tall order. That is hard to do. I saw this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I wanted to share it. It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So that everything, all my world, all, all, the, all I perceive, usually it's about me, me, me. How can I get more? How can I have this? I want this. I want a better raise, a better job. And it's really self-focused. And humility is saying, you know what? I want to think less about myself and more about other people. It's viewing yourself properly before God. And interestingly enough, Paul really weaves into our faith a level of humility as a strength. In many other cultures, it's considered a weakness. But in Scripture, humility is truly a strength. The next, next chunk of this Scripture says to be patient with each other. So I'm not going to take any time on this because you guys are all really good at mastering this. <laughs> that was a weird laugh. That's a weird laugh. Anyways, we should be patient with each other because of God, because of his love. He's truly patient with us, right? So that means we need to have grace and patience towards our spouses, our children, our coworkers, our fellow neighbors on Interstate 10. We should be patient with these beautiful, wonderful people. And this last part of the verse is really great because it says making allowances. <laughs> making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. And really, if you're, if you're lacking love, it means that you need love from the Father. Because as he gives you love, you can spill it and pour it out on others. Um, Edie told... Uh, my wife, one thing that really stuck with her, my mother-in-law, Edie, she says, um, always leave room for offense. Always leave room for offense. So here's a little story. When we were married, um, every time my wife was driving, we'd come up to a red light, and typically, you know, a, a person like myself might come up to the car and leave, you know, a, a good three or four feet, five feet maybe. But Susie would leave like a car length, like 20 feet. <laughs> it, was a, it was a super huge margin. And I thought, that's interesting. I got a graphic. Isn't that good? So she, like this, 
she does better than this. She leaves more margin. And, and I thought to myself, you know what? Is this a good practice? And I said, yes. So I've adopted it. I don't do it as well as her. But I got to talking with her, and not only was she in one rear-end accident where the car pushed her into the other car, she was in two, and she was in three car accidents where she got banged in from the back. So she has made allowances. She's made margin so that that way if she does get hit, she doesn't hit the other car. And I thought, what a great principle. What a great principle. What if we adopted this and we took this philosophy to the next Thanksgiving family dinner? <laughs> or we took it to a coworker event. The, the one person that really gets under your skin. What if you have a little self-talk and you said, you know what? I'm going to create some cushion. I'm going to create some margin so that way when this person does offend me, I'll be expecting it. Like maybe I play a little game like, okay, I think he's going to say four really inappropriate crass things, but he only said three. I don't know, whatever it looks like, but we do this in other parts of our life, don't we? Isn't it wise financially to create margin and a cushion? It's totally wise. It's called an emergency fund, right? And we know this because we expect things to break. The dishwasher goes, the AC goes, the tire blows up. There's stuff that comes at us that's not necessarily woven into our budget. What if we did that emotionally with people? Making room for others' offenses, their weaknesses, because of love, because of what God's done in us. The verse, the passage goes on in, in verse 3. It says, make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. Peace is the string. It's the rope that binds us together. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and living through all. So much unity you see in that. One, 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 one. God's heart is unity and he wants his bride, he wants us to be unified as well. Unity is truly the responsibility of every believer and when you have somebody who really upsets you, try to focus on their qualities, not the things that annoy you, because it's super easy for our mind to go to the things that we don't like about this person. And one of the best advices that I can give you is to begin to pray for that person. Because when you start to pray for that person, you begin to have God's vantage point and perspective on that person's life. And that's what making every effort to keep peace looks like. And I also want to say this, our oneness in Christ doesn't diminish your individuality. Your uniqueness as a person is elevated and celebrated in the midst of being unified with others. And I'm glad we all don't look the same. We all don't come from the same background. We look different. We have different thoughts. We have different opinions. But isn't it miraculous, the miracle that God weaves us all together for one greater purpose, his kingdom? Like, that is really, truly spectacular. And God cares if I'm unified with others. That's an important thing to him. And we're instructed to do everything possible 
to keep or preserve the spirit of unity. Second Timothy says it this way, um, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. It says, remind everybody about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Ouch. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who is correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. Man, don't you see so much of that in news, social media? People just saying stuff, and it, it's worthless. It doesn't do anybody any good. And before I speak... Um, especially if I'm, like, thinking that I have all the answers and I want to share my opinion. Is anybody like that? <laughs> like, I know exactly what you should do. Da, 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 da. Um, I try to do a check, and I don't do it often, but I try to ask myself, okay, is what I'm about to say to this person, is it true? Is what I'm about to say to this person kind? And this is the big one. Is what I'm about to say to this person necessary? Like, I can tell them truth. I can tell them God's truth. I can give them stats and statistics. But is it really going to change their heart? Is it really going to help that person? Or is it going to create a wedge in our relationship? Because if they're not ready to hear truth, it's going to separate me from that person. And if I'm separated from that person, then that has the less influence that I can have in their life when they are circling around to hear that truth. And chances are, what you're about to tell them, they've heard before anyways. So I ask myself, okay, Holy Spirit, should I, do I need to have anything that I need to tell them, or do I just need to, to pray for them? Because I have known right from wrong, and I've chosen to do wrong. And when somebody tells me what's right, I really wasn't interested in hearing that. <laughs> I know it's just me. You guys are all holy and really good, and you guys pray all the time, like Tony. I get that, but I had a past, right? So check yourself. Is this really what you want me to tell them, Lord? Is this important? Um, I also want to hammer down on this, that when you look at the life of Jesus, he never sacrificed truth for unity, he never sacrificed truth for unity. His truth did divide people, and it revealed the hearts of man. And love doesn't accept sin. It wants to correct it. So if Jesus were to be like, hey, look, I all want us to be happy, kumbaya, then he would have to say, your behavior is not correct. And he didn't promote unity over sin. He says, truth trumps unity. Get on board with me. And so we're not going to sacrifice the instructions of the Bible. When sin says it's sin, it's because of our benefit. It's parameters. It helps us from getting hurt. That's why the Ten Commandments are there. So we need to be unified in love, but we need to stand firm on God's truth. Does that make sense? So really, it's, it's following God and saying, you know what, Holy Spirit, it's your ability to convict sin. It's your job to convict sin. It's my job, he's telling me, to love the way that I want to be loved. It's your job, it's, it's my job, it's our job to keep the unity, to bind each other in peace. 
And that's what we should seek for. Not having a better, I'm better than you attitude or anything like that, but focusing on living in a way that says, okay, I want my interaction with this person, I want God to be pleased by it because I have to stand in judgment before him. Um, skipping a few verses, I want to, this kind of talks about it in verse 16. It says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy. The whole body is growing and full of love. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Because of the generosity of Christ, because of grace. And so it got me to thinking, what does it look like when each part does its own special work to come up with something wonderful? And my wife had an itching for some chocolate chip cookies this week. And so my daughter just went full out in action. And she made the most delicious batch of chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> and so she went to the kitchen and she got the baking soda. And then she got the flour and the sugar, the eggs and the chocolate chips. And she put it all out and she made some wonderful cookies. And I thought to myself, isn't that what this scripture's talking about? In a practical way, when we all contribute, it makes something wonderful. And I thought it was a wonderful because like somebody had made homemade chocolate chip cookies out in the lobby. So who had a chocolate chip cookie this morning? Oh, Roy did. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing about chocolate chip cookies is individually, they're not all the greatest, except for chocolate chips, right? We all would love to have a handful of chocolate chips, you know, or sugar. Like you can mix sugar in your coffee, and sometimes you have half and half in sugar. It's delicious. But nobody has half and half in baking soda in their coffee. Like nasty, right? Gross. Why did you even say that, Pastor Sean? But some of you might feel like, man, I just feel different. I feel like I don't belong. Like this person just attracts people, and they're the chocolate chips of this church, but I'm more like the baking soda. <laughs> I'm weird. People, like, it's tangy. It's, ugh. I just don't feel like I fit. Or maybe you're like, I feel like I'm flour, like I have dry this, dry humor, like I just, who cares? What do I really add here? Or you're hanging out with somebody and, and they're like the egg of the group, right? So they're really hard to, you can only go surface level with them, right? They don't want to crack open and really tell you what's inside, right? Well, we all come together and we all do something wonderful. And it's the enemy that tries to tell you, you don't matter. You don't fit in this mix. You're not important. But you try to make cookies without baking soda? Ah, right? Right? It doesn't work, right, Sally? Talk to Sally. She knows all about it. We need the baking soda people at Streams. We need the baking soda people. So instead of being critical of somebody, be like, man, I'd really like, I wish it, I wish it could be more like the chocolate chips. That's not fair to say because God's calling on their life makes me better, makes you better, makes us better. It says in, in verse 11, it says, Now these gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, 
their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And isn't that what we saw at VBS? I got to thinking of it. Because it's, it's my job, and a lot of times I would sit on this seat, and I'd say, you know what, he's on staff. He's, he's actually getting paid to do this church thing. Like, this is his job to do this. It's not my responsibility as a churchgoer. But that's not what we see in this scripture. It's our job as leaders and elders and pastors and teachers to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I thought about, like, Brittany and the team, they came together and they, they planned out the crafts and they got the supplies. They planned out the games and the rotations and the snacks. And you guys all came together and you did the work of the ministry. That's what it looks like. It doesn't have to be radical, amazing service, but it's you saying, yes, I'll show up. And you guys, you guys worked a full day of work. You guys came when it was 115 degrees. I'm just oh, it's hot. <laughs> like, give them a break. <laughs> but you came and you showed up to love those kids, to dance funny, or to, to do a, a craft, or just to, to be and have fun with the kids. You did the work of the ministry. And I think it's interesting because remember that part where Jesus says, hey, look, you saw me thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You remember that part in the Bible? It, it didn't say, you saw me and I was full of a mentally and emotionally problems. I was depressed. I had a broken leg. And you gave me therapy and you fixed my leg and you bandaged me up and you healed me. He didn't say these big monumental things. He said, you gave me a drink. What if that was more supernatural than we realized? You showing up to, to pass out graham crackers. <laughs> you showing up and you help serve once a, once a month in kids' church. Or you go help with junior high or youth. Or you're a camp dad and you cook like John and we make all this great hearty food. Like, we didn't do anything spectacular, but I wonder in God's eyes if we did something more spectacular than we give ourselves credit for. Because we came together, even though our backgrounds are different, our political views are different, all, all this stuff is different. The miracle of the kingdom is when we all fix our eyes on Christ and we pursue holiness and he binds together and he builds us up to something wonderful. You are needed here. You help me grow. And I want to help you grow. And that's really the vision of streams is like community. Like it's hard to, to come here and to sit in the back and sneak out. Like somebody's going to say hi to you here. <laughs> like just deal with it. That's who we are. But my vision for us is truly if we all caught the vision that you are called, that you're purposed, that you're purposed to join in this community, to be in our neighborhood, our workplaces, to be in our community, imagine what that would look like if we all believed that statement, if we all gave, if we all served, in whatever capacity that looked like. And when, when God wasn't telling us to do instructions, we were at peace with that too. But when we all bring to the table what God's uniquely purposed in you, that is my heart for us. Because it's not about me. 
it's not about individual people, but it's us as the whole with Christ being the cornerstone. And that is, that's really the heart of what we're after. The last couple of verses to close us down is uh, verses 13 through 16. It says, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Again, Christ is our cornerstone. He's the standard. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, his church. Growing's a process. And there's some who are a little further along in their journey who are more mature. And because of that, we want to extend grace when we see people struggling. We want to be there to encourage them. And we don't magically mature in our faith. But maybe you're newer along in this. It's good to have a couple people that you can pass on ideas. or like, hey, I saw this. What does this mean? This didn't seem right. That way, you will be grounded into God's truth. Because it doesn't matter the words I say, they have to line up to, the, to God's scripture. They have to because Christ is the cornerstone. And so your faith should always line up with the truth of God's word. It should always line up. So I know we've talked a lot about different things, and I want to call up the worship team to come. But this is a moment just between you and God right now. What in this message stood out to you? Is there anything that God's trying to work in your life to, to draw you to be a little bit more like him. Because his grace empowers us to do this. If you look in 1 Corinthians, it's the spirit who gives us gifts. He gives us the gift of prophecy. But it's Christ who gives us the gift of people. He gives us the prophets, the teachers. So it's like these two beautiful things coming together for the elevation, for the benefit of the church. Maybe you need to be more patient. Maybe your words need to be a little bit more grace-filled. What is it that God's telling you to do? Maybe you need to get in the game. <laughs> that you need to bring your uniqueness to this body. I just want to pray for us, and we're going to sing a song, and then we'll close in prayer. But as, as you're worshiping, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would, would speak to you in this, whatever that looks like. So, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your scripture, your truth, helps us in life, and it helps our lives be better. And so, God, we want to look more like you, Christ. Would you lovingly correct us in areas that need to be adjusted? Would you give us the courage to be okay that we don't look like everybody else? That maybe what we bring to the party isn't celebrated, or you can't even, like baking soda, you can't even taste it, but it's important. I pray that you would encourage those people who feel like they don't belong because I need them in my life and we need them in our life. Weave us together by your spirit. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.